say so and it is more real than my being therefore as the word is real than my being I am what the word says not what I think not what people think but what the word says I am what the word says the word says I'm blessed therefore I am blessed Give the Lord a hand. My Father, thank you for this morning. I bless your holy name. I present myself before you once again. I ask the Lord, anoint these lips of clay. Let me speak your word with all boldness and power. I pray the Lord, you give me the words to speak. Not my words, but your word. I pray the Lord, give me your intention that I may communicate it in the name of Jesus. I pray that by the close of today's word, let your people be imparted and let them see your word come alive in their lives in the name of Jesus. Lord, place my humanity aside and let your spirit take over and rule supreme. I thank you, I bless you, because there is a blessing for all of us here today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You are blessed to be in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, three weeks now, we've been talking about the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. And we all know that, and we all quote it. Uh, the scripture that says, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We all quote it every time. And I, and I was asking a question. If you are the righteousness of God in Christ, then it presupposes that you carry a certain righteousness, which is not yours. It belongs to somebody, but you are what that person possesses in another man. So you are the righteousness of God in Christ. 
presupposing that you did not work to earn it. Hallelujah. And so if you did not work to earn it, somebody worked for it. Hello? Somebody had to do something to be qualified as righteous. And that person is in no other person than God himself. So the Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. In other words, the righteousness of God is only imparted when anybody finds him or herself. Or, or God brings that person into Christ. Hallelujah. Now I want us to talk about that righteousness. And so we started, uh, I gave the preamble on the first, like three weeks ago. And then yes, uh, last week we expanded it a little bit. Today I want to go on. Hallelujah. And our mother scripture is taken from the book of Romans 5, 17 to 19. I'd like to read it right now. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So, by one man's obedience, many be made righteous. Hallelujah. And because of that, I titled this series, The Effect of God's Righteousness. Now, my, the reason why I said this is because you don't just carry his righteousness. His righteousness must produce a certain thing in your life. Now, when his righteousness is producing in your life, what is the primary thing? And we saw it in the scripture where we read. Hallelujah. Look at it carefully. Verse 17, he says that, For if by one man's offense, death reigned. In other words, death was the ruler of the, earth, of the world or the earth. He says that by how much more? They which receive abundance of grace. In other words, when you compare death or sin to God's right, uh, grace or his righteousness, his grace is super heavy than sin or condemnation. Hallelujah. So he says that those who receive the gift of righteousness shall reign in life so you and i as we carry god's righteousness it is it is necessity it's of necessity or it behooves us to reign in life hallelujah it becomes mandatory that we reign in life you cannot carry god's righteousness and say you will not reign and so because of that when i was dealing with the preamble in terms of the first day when we started this topic i said that the scepter of his throne is the scepter of righteousness. And that defines the scepter. The scepter is sovereignty. And what is sovereignty? Authority. In other words, the authority of his throne is established in righteousness. So if you want to see God rule in the earth, don't look at the things that he just does and consider this one he did some right, this one he did some wrong. The whole of his rulership is, 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 is handled in his righteousness. Hallelujah. And so today, I'd like us to talk about it. I'd like us to go deep. Now, let us, do, let us always remember that when it, came to, when it comes to righteousness, it is an act that must come forth. Because when we say somebody is right, it means that the person acted out rightly. Hallelujah. So, if we carry the righteousness of God in Christ, it presupposes that we did not act for it. But he, God, acted out his righteousness. Hallelujah. Now, and because of that, I'd like us to leave the mother scripture. I'll keep on reading it, reading it every Sunday, but that is the base out of which every other topic will be coming out. Hallelujah. And tonight, uh, sorry, this morning, I'd like us to talk about this issue into details. And last week, I raised a certain scripture in the book of Philippians chapter 2 from verse 6 to 8. And that is where my teaching is going to be based on today. Now look at it carefully as I read. He said, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Hallelujah. And I'm saying that if somebody acted out righteousness on your behalf, what specifically did he do? In these three verses, we can see what he did. Number one, he took upon himself the form of a servant. Other versions say a bond servant. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so if he took him upon himself the bond of a, of a servant, or the, the, the form of a bond servant, what does it mean? It presupposes that formerly he was not a servant. But in order for him to work out righteousness on your behalf, he became a servant so that you don't have to be a servant. Now notice, seven. No, notice something. Whose servant was he? A servant of God. He was who? God's servant. To work out the things that we could not work out on the earth on our behalf. Hallelujah. And so when he came to the earth, he worked out righteousness on behalf of the believer. So he came in a human form. That is why when we talk about God's righteousness, we cannot separate his righteousness from his humanity. As much as we consider his divinity, we must mix all of them up because they put everything where everything is supposed to be. And I'm talking about God working out his righteousness. Hallelujah. And the second thing we see in this scripture is that he became obedient unto death. Why am I saying this? You remember the scripture we read in the book of Romans chapter 5. It says, if, if through one man sin brought condemnation unto all men, then it is also necessary that through one man, what? Righteousness will be given unto all men. It presupposes that before a child is born, once you are born from the Adamic lineage, you carry the seed of sin. Hallelujah. But once you are born into Christ, then you carry the seed of righteousness. In other portions of scripture, he refers to the worldly people as slaves to sin. And he refers to the believer as a slave of righteousness. Hallelujah. And today, before I go on today's main topic, I'd like to talk about the third thing. He says, and even to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Now, you should notice that he didn't just come to die. He died a specific death. And I'm asking, why did he die that specific death? This one, which is the death on the cross, I'll deal with it next week Sunday. Hallelujah. But today, I would like to talk about the fact that he was obedient unto death. Now, let's start defining obedience. Obedience. To be willing to do something, isn't it? You are willing to submit or subject yourself to something. Hallelujah. I'm just giving you a layman's definition. But either ways, I think I'm right, right? You bring yourself under subjection to something, whether greater than you or lesser than you. You just decide to obey. Hallelujah. So he, the, the, the point is, he, the obedient, he's obedient unto death. And I'm talking about Jesus here. You have to understand that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. The reason why Jesus had to come in the form of a man is so that God can fully say, I am man. You know, there's the other parts of scripture that says that for God is a spirit and those who worship must worship him in spirit and in truth. In the book of Genesis, when he breathed into Adam, he made Adam the God of this physical world. So he ceased to live in the physical world. He translated into Zion, which is where? Heaven. But when Jesus was born on the earth, that was the time that God took upon himself the form of man again. Do you get it? So that he will be the physical God who rules this earth. No wonder when Jesus died and resurrected, it was said of him that now he holds the keys of death and hell. Not only that, that in the heavens, on the earth, and under the earth, he has been given a name that is above every other name. Praise the Lord. And because of that today, I'd like us to talk about his obedience unto death or his obedience unto death. Now, let's go straight. Now, I just want to talk about death. When we talk about human beings dying, physical death, what is it? 
It is a separation of the body from the soul. That's what physical death is. Hallelujah. Now, spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. That is why God calls us to win. To win. Yes, he doesn't win bodies. Will be Apachio. Whether he's crippled, whether his name. He actually brings the person in and restores the person. Because it is the soul God is looking for. In the realms of the spirit, no soul is crippled. Did you get that? Sometimes you see, you feel like ask a crippled man or a lame man. When you have a dream, how do you see yourself? You tell you, I saw myself walking. Before you know, in the physical, the person is lame. Hallelujah. I'm just saying that in God's eyes, he does not see us weak and beggarly. He does not see us sick and people who are defeated. Hallelujah. Now let's go on. So I define death as the, the sinner permanently separated from God's presence. That is eternal separation from God. And that one, it happens when the person does not believe in Jesus. You go straight because you carry the judgment of God upon your, earth, your head whilst you walk on the earth. So as you walk this earth, you just transit into hell. And you know, you don't have a judgment throne to go and stand before. Like the picture we normally paint, that you go before a throne and then they open a video, they show you all your life history, they show you the good things you did and the bad things, then they weigh them. If the good is better than the bad, they say, oh yeah, go into heaven. If the bad is, is heavier than the good, they say, oh, you did not do well. Now go into hell. Please. It is a lie. That is people using their mind rather than allowing the scriptures to speak. Hallelujah. But he says to us, one who believes in the son has eternal life already. Whether you are dead or not. He said, you have eternal life. And last, when did we take our communion? Last week. He made it even stronger. He said, if you eat my, my body and you drink my blood, he said, eternal life is yours. Hallelujah. Now let's move on. The second thing I'd like to talk about that his death is this. For all men, death was because of their sins. But for Christ, because of our sins. God judiciously laid on him our penalty that he voluntarily agreed to assume. So he himself decided to carry upon himself a certain burden and it was death let's just face it the bible says the sinner shall die you cannot go you cannot run away away from it it is a fact but you see jesus coming to take it had to fulfill god's righteousness on the earth can i say something to you the lord created lucifer and lucifer failed him if you read the book of Ezekiel, he said he has said in his heart, iniquity was found in him. In other words, his original creation had no iniquity with him, in him. The second person who failed God is Adam. Hallelujah. And it is clear, we are still reaping the effect of that failure. Now, the second person who did not fail God, or the first person who did not fail God, is Jesus. Now, let's consider something. So, Jesus comes on the earth, lives for 30 years. In his 30th year, he goes to John the Baptist to be baptized. John the Baptist said, you come to me to baptize you. I must come to you to be baptized. He said, permit it to be so, so that both you and I will fulfill what? All righteousness. It is part of God's righteousness. Now, after he fulfilled God's righteousness, notice something that happened. God said, open the heavens and spoke. This is my beloved son in whom I am well what? Pleased. Why? Because this guy did not fail him. Are you here with me? Do you get it? So everything that Jesus did on the earth pointed to the fact that he was able to carry out his assignment on this earth successfully. And please let nobody tell you that yes, you know in Yamil. When he was walking on the earth, the Bible said that he was hungry. We know that God does not eat food. Hello. 
we need physical food for our physical body. So if Jesus was hungry, it means that he was walking in his humanity. Praise the Lord. So his humanity was the one who was tempted. His humanity was the one who carried the cross. It was his humanity who was suffering for us so that we don't have to suffer. Praise the Lord. Now, I'd like us to go on to the third point. I have so many things to share. I pray that I'm able to share them. His death involved both physical and eternal implication. Although he bore it in a moment, what men must bear forever. Listen to me. His death had both physical and eternal. Physical and eternal implications. Now, we know that in his humanity, he died on the cross, right? His humanity died. The physical guy died. Now, after he died, we know that everything he accomplished had effect in the eternal world. So that when any man who believes in his death will have what? Eternal life. That is the effect. But let's move on. Now, this raises a question which I want to ask us. Because we have to understand when we say we carry the righteousness of God, we have to know what it truly is. Is it that we are happy because we are Christians and when we come to church, the Holy Spirit just washes us and makes us nice and then we are happy, he, we are blessed by him and that is all. No, I want us to grow in our understanding of God's word and who he is. Now, I'm talking about his righteousness here and this is the question I want to ask. Jesus, did he start paying for the penalty of sin on this earth or he paid for the penalty of sin when he died think about it praise the lord why am i saying this if you read the book of mark chapter 15 verse 30 he says that my god my god why have thou forsaken me so my next question is this will god forsake god you get what is happening? Yes. You, you see, the person who said, my God, was his humanity. It was not God the Son. It was the Son of God. Hello? So, God on the earth, in human form, was hanging on the cross. And his humanity spoke out. My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? What was he bearing such that you could make such loud cries? It means that there was a pain in his heart. Now, we have to understand that everything God, Jesus felt on this earth, everything that is in pain, everything that is in rejection, they spat on him, they slapped him. All of those things came together. To carry your sins. Praise the Lord. Now let's see it in scripture. How could God be forsaken of God? If this forsaking relates to bearing of sin for us at the point before death. He actually, before he actually died. Does this mean that his sin was paid for our sins? Or that sin was paid for in his suffering before his death? That is the question I asked. But let's look at something. In the book of Luke chapter 24 verse 44, 22 verse 44, he says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That is his sweat. So you could tell that the guy was going through some form of agony. And I'm asking, why would he go through that form of agony? Why? Because in his suffering, he paid for sin. In his humanity, he paid for sin. Don't forget, because Adam, who is a man, was the one who committed the sin on the earth, it was necessary that a man would take that sin away. But let me ask, who will come out of Adam's lineage and do the correction? Because the seed has been what? Corrupted. But look at what God did. God brought his son in the form of a man. 
who was 100% God, 100% man. And when it was needful that man should act, his God nature did not interfere. And when it was needful that God should act, his human nature did not interfere. What am I saying? Everything that you and I were supposed to go through and bear the pain for it, Jesus went through 100% so that you and I can be free. So look at it. He was praying in the garden and his sweat dropped like blood. Hey. He was caught by the Roman soldiers. Took him to the palace. Took him to the priest. Took him to the palace. Took him to the priest. They were examining him. Examining him. They spat on him. They slapped him. They beat him. They did all kinds of things. And as they were doing that, what was he doing? He was actually paying for the penalty of sin. Because why? On the cross, when he was on the cross, he shouted, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And then after he shouted, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? What did he say? It is, it is what? What was finished then? What? Sin was finished then, right? Then if sin was finished there, why did he have to die? This is why I come in. This is where now the preaching starts. Or this is where we begin to look into the word. You notice something? That he had to go through everything as a man. Everything as a man. Everything as a man. And you have to understand, so long as somebody carries the title of sin, whether you like it or not, you will visit hell. Did you get what I said? I said, so long as there is sin on your head, I'm not talking about the action of sin. I am talking about the seed of sin. Whether you like it or not, you will visit hell because everybody who sins must die. And that death there is eternal death. It's not talking about physical death. Praise the Lord. But look at it. This Jesus guy, he became sin when he had never sinned. And so once he became sin, it is, it is necessary that he visits hell. And when he gets there, he has to know what the people who go to hell face. Because why? He had become sin in nature. Not because he practiced sin, but because it was imputed unto him. Now notice something. The same process by which sin was imputed on Christ, it is the same way sin, uh, righteousness, was imputed unto you. Now, this is the question I would like to ask. How was sin imputed on Christ? If he knew no sin, if he did no sin, how was sin imputed on Christ? Praise the Lord. It came by faith. Say by faith. Yes. Because why? He couldn't have carried the seed to practice sin. So, what happened? What happened? He said, I am looking for somebody who will go on the earth. Who will go for us? Eh? Who will go for us? He said, here I am, Lord. I will go. And this is Jesus talking. And he came on the earth. So, even though he was God, he became a servant. How did he become a servant? By faith. So he comes to, he comes and he asks, he said, I have come to take upon myself the sins of the world. Like I told you last week, Judas Iscariot, hoping that Jesus will fight the Roman uh, Empire. And Jesus now says, I'm the king, I'm the king, I'm the king. And he, goes, he gets to his, the latter part of his ministry and he said, I have come to die, I have come to die, I have come to die. And he said, this guy, you are good just for a land. I'll sell you and use you to buy a land. Do you get what is going on? And so Jesus allowed our, our sins to be imputed on him so that we can carry his righteousness. Now notice something. How are we made righteous? By, by, by. So it was the same process. Jesus said, let everything come on me. I accept it. I will handle it. I will carry it on my shoulders. And when everything is done, I will still stand. So listen, 
it, it shows clearly that every time the high priest in the Old Testament, they go to sacrifice, they put the lamb on the altar, and every time they burn the lamb out to ashes, they burn, anytime they sacrifice, they burn every part to ashes, they burn every part to ashes. But Jesus alone, being a sacrifice on the cross, was because there was no seed of sin in him, when he had offered up himself as the sacrifice of sin, he still remained on the cross. He didn't die. If you continue reading, he said, and he gave up his ghost. In other words, he now came to the point and said, now I'm ready to die. You remember when he went to the, is it Pontius Pilate? He said that, don't you know that I have power to free you? I have power to kill. He said, you made that statement, don't make it again. Because you don't know how your bones were formed in your mother's womb. I made you. What am I saying? I'm saying that in Christ, our righteousness is so solid. Why? Because he acted out accordingly so that nobody can falter us when it comes to our righteousness. Because it is not a righteousness you worked out for. It is God's righteousness and it is imputed unto you. So when something is imputed unto you, it means that you are carrying something you did not work for. You were just there and the thing was given to you. So you just have to enjoy it. And listen, he says, those who carry his righteousness shall reign in life. And the life there is not eternal life. He's talking about this earthly life. Praise the Lord. So he says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? And this forsaken presupposes that that was the place he was carrying our sins. That was the place that sin fully came upon him. Now, you remember, I don't know how many of you have watched uh, Joseph Prince's video of that cartoon where the uh, sin, condemnation, disease, curse. I mean, that picture explains the scriptures thoroughly. I, I mean, in that part where he was on the cross, where he shouted, finished! What is finished? In other words, the sacrifice is greater than the offense. No wonder he said, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. The Greek says, grace, super. There's a word, hyper. Hooper abounds. Hallelujah. So when you compare God's grace to his punishment, no wonder he says that his anger is for a while, but his love is everlasting. In other words, he is so merciful and so kind, nothing can place his kindness in a boundary or in a, in a container. In a, you cannot ref, define the ends of his love and his mercy. They go out, all out, all out. They keep on ringing into eternity. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> so now, Jesus started paying for the penalty of sin in his humanity on the cross. So now, after, so please, now you know, you've seen it through scripture, that Jesus did not pay for the penalty of sin when he died. Praise the Lord. He paid for the penalty of sin when he shouted on the cross, it is finished. Don't forget, it is not his death that brought, that, that, brought, that dealt with sin. It is his blood. It is what? It is what? But God also knows that if there is no blood, there is no death. But once he sees blood, it means that there was what? Death. So now look at something. When Jesus was on the cross, he was bleeding. When Jesus was beaten, he was bleeding. When Jesus was agonizing in the garden, he was what? bleeding. His, that was the time that his blood started working. Started working. Started putting things right on our behalf. So that no iota of sin will be, will be seen in our lives. Because don't forget, I told you, it is not the practice of sin that Jesus Christ came to die for. Even though his death has effect on that one. The main thing he came to die for is the seed of sin. So that he will take that, that taste in your mouth. That likes to sin. So that now you like to do what is right and what is good. Praise the Lord. Please. Nobody sins because the person is a sinner. 
you don't, I mean, what I'm trying to say is this. When somebody does wrong, you don't call that person a sinner. When, that, when somebody is not born again, qualify that person a sinner. Because the Bible says the righteous shall fall. How many times? Seven times. He talks about perfection. He said the righteous shall fall seven times. But the same number of times he will rise up. Hallelujah. Why? Because it is God watching over him so that he never loses him. So now I'm saying that if Jesus paid for our sins before his death, then why did he have to die since our sins were already paid for by his suffering? Praise the Lord. Now this is where I said that because, any, because once anybody carries the seed of sin in you, if you die, you must visit hell. And if I say visit, I'm not talking about going and coming back. I'm talking about going and staying permanently. But look at Jesus. Jesus, because he was not the seed of Abraham, sorry, of Adam, he was, was there was no seed in him that could sin. There was no seed in him that, that sin could say, Ah, I, I see some resemblance of what I carry in you. No, he was 100% different. So he had never ever committed sin. And you mean that he never called anybody foolish. Whereas Jesus is talking, he says, anybody, anytime you call your brother a fool, you are, you are, you are a candidate for hellfire. You remember that scripture, right? And yet, they say there was no sin found in him. Why am I saying this? The guy was looked upon and there was no mistake in him. 100% correct. 100% correct. 100% correct. <laughs> so now, now he dies. There are people who don't believe that Jesus went into hell. But can I tell you that he went into hell? Can I tell you? I said he went into hell. Okay. He went into hell. Why? He went into hell because he needed to take the keys of death and of what? Hell. There's a part of scripture that says that I will build my church and the gates of hell. The gates could mean two things. One, it could be that indeed there is a gate. Right? And two, it could, be, it could stand for authority. So if he took the keys of death and hell, what do you use a key for? To open and lock. So I'm just saying that if Jesus had to take the keys of death and hell, then it presupposes that when he went to hell, he, he now said, me, I'm the one who opens here and closes it at will. Give me the keys. And he took it. The Bible says he threw principalities off himself and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in his death. Why? Because after he had paid for the penalty of sin, now he had to die. And look at what God said about him. For in, this, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 25. Now Peter is teaching. He's preaching. He said, for David speaks concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also, my flesh shall rest in hope because you shall not leave my soul in hell. You shall not leave my soul where? Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. The word corruption means decay. In other words, Jesus did not go into the ground, was not buried to rot. Praise the Lord. So now, specifically, why did he have to die after he had finished paying for the penalty of sin on the cross and through the beating, through the agonizing prayer and all of that? Why did he have to die? So that you and I will never ever visit hell. Did you get it? Everything he did was for us. Everything he did was for us. So he went into hell. Went into hell. Took the keys of death and hell. And say, from today, 
I give it unto the church. I give it unto my people. Nobody will visit here again. Once you come into me, you won't visit here. Once you come into me and you acknowledge my work for you, hell is not a place for you again. So when you look at you and I, you and I, our lives, you notice that there is some form of assurance when it comes to our salvation. I never think of dying and one day, hey, after death, I, then a demon is coming to carry me to hell. No. Why? Because Jesus visited hell for me so that I don't have to even step foot in that nasty, ugly place. What is your confidence? What is the thing that upholds your faith and gives you constant victory in everything you do? Is it the fact that you know that Jesus did ABCD on your behalf or it is something that you know in yourself that you are capable of accomplishing. But I'm telling you something. If you denounce what Jesus has done, which I know nobody here has done, and will never do, and can never do, because you are his body, and he will never cut off his leg away. I didn't hear an amen. I said he will never cut off the left toe, the small one. He will never cut it off. Hallelujah. So he visited hell for you so that you don't have to visit hell. He went into hell so that no demon will come and say, hey, I have claims over you. One day, why? Because when he went into hell, he defeated them and showed them that he is the boss. Now he has taken the keys from their hands and he's now ruling on behalf of his kids. So anybody who is in Christ will never ever visit hell. Like I told you, I said anybody who has sinned before and comes under Adam, once you come from Adam's lineage, whether you like it or not, if you die, or don't, not if, when you die, you will visit hell. And I told you, it's not a short stay. It is a permanent one. But look at something. When Jesus went into that place, he showed them that there was a new kind of people on the earth. This kind of people, they are not subjected to sin. Why? Because the seed of sin is not in them. When, when it comes to the effect of sin, you cannot find it in them. Why? Because the seed is not in them. Anything that has to do with sin, anything that binds people with sin, anything that binds people who don't know what Jesus has done for them. When it comes to these people, minus them. Why? Because Jesus visited every point they must visit ever in their life into eternity and came out and when he came out, he said, these are my people. I have sanctified them for my use. Why would he do that? Because he's preserving their body. I told you something some time ago. I said, God's righteousness is as much as it is to prove his greatness and who he is. He has no, already, he has no competitor. But notice something. He did it so that we can be his inheritance. So we are God's inheritance. Now, if you inherit something precious and something good, will you allow it to leave your hands? No, tell me, will you allow it to leave your hands? And that is what God holds in our hands, in his hands. Us, we are in the palm of his hands. He said he watches over us so that nobody will snatch us out of his hands. Why? Because he so loved us. Please, everything that Jesus did, everything that God did, everything the Holy Spirit is still doing on this earth is to prove one thing, God's love. So if you don't understand what God has done for you, how can you know of his love? But his love is such that it gathers all the weak things of this world and he makes them strong. He gathers the low things of this world and he uplifts them. He gathers the people who are nobodies and he establishes his covenant with them and places them on high. Why would he do that? Because it shows forth his righteousness. I say it shows forth what? So he died and visited hell so that you and I will never ever visit hell. In the book of Hebrews chapter 2, from verse 14 to 15, I read, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also, say he also, say he also, say he also, likewise took part of the same. He took part of the same. And I'm saying, why? Simple. So that he has visited hell. You don't have to visit hell. You, you cannot visit hell. 
because the person has visited hell for you and i told you if you go to hell today without christ please you won't come back you will stay there permanently why because you have never ever wrought any righteousness in yourself but the bible says that the children of Israel, not knowing and understanding God's righteousness, they set aside his righteousness and established their own righteousness. But he says, our righteousness is like filthy rags before him. Notice, it is not a competition between God and Satan. It is a standard that God has placed down. And because he is righteous, he must uphold his standard. When it comes to him, he must be faithful to that standard. The standard is called his word. I said the standard is called what? I said the standard is called what? So anybody who lives by the word, live according to God's, which is righteousness. Praise the Lord. All I'm saying here this morning is this. If Jesus partook of our nature so that he will systematically go through everything for us and there was no corner cutting, say, oh God, you know me, I'm God, so you did Jehovah No, he had to fulfill every step of the way so that we can be liberated. Why do we look at it as a low thing? No, it is a very high thing. Why do some people consider their Christianity as something mere? It actually comes to the point they believe that they can lose their salvation. Why? Because they don't believe in the finished work of Christ. They actually think that now when they practice sin or they do what is wrong, it negates what Jesus has done. But can I tell you something? He said, he is the one who came to this earth. He died. He went into hell. He resurrected. And he is alive forevermore. Notice something. He is alive forevermore. He is alive forevermore. To prove to you that everything he did, he's still around to witness it to you. That I did A, B, C, D. To show you that when I got to my turn, hell could not hold me down. So that when you believe in me, hell cannot hold you down. Praise the Lord. I'm asking a question. Jesus at birth, his blood was as perfect at the time he died at 33 and a half years, right? Why didn't they kill him when he was two months old? In fact, Herod came around to try to kill him. The Lord said to his family, take him to Egypt. They took him away. That question is just amazing. Because why? There was way, God was waiting for his righteous requirement of his word to come to pass. That a man will come to this earth live the same life you and I are living you and I faced with all the troubles and tribulation and shortcoming and shortfalls and all the difficulties and live every day every second of the day every hour and see all the things you and I are seeing and still say of him yet without sin yet without sin Listen, Jesus' humanity is something powerful that when we understand it, it emboldens our humanity so that we will not come low to the things that men are saying and doing about us, but we'll keep on focusing on the things that God did. So during the week, the Lord spoke to me. He said to me, your vindication is in my righteousness. He said, your vindication is in my righteousness. It is, I am the one who vindic I'm the one who makes you righteous. If I don't make you righteous, forget it. Praise the Lord. So I continue reading. He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That he must do what? Destroy. Yeah, he must do what? Destroy. You should notice that he didn't just go into hell. Because this, he carried the sin of the world. No, not only that. When he went into hell, it was to show to the devil, guy, everything that God placed as a standard, I have met it. And I have, I have I bettered it. Hallelujah. And now that I have made it even better, look at me, whether you can find any iniquity in me. So the Bible says the grave could not hold him. 
the grave. He couldn't hold him. Another translation for grave is hell. Hell could not hold him. When he got there, he said, give me the keys. They handed it over. They tossed it into his hands. He took it. He said, from today, I carry these keys. I give it at will, whoever I please. So notice, anybody who is in Christ, hell is your back case. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I haven't finished reading. I'm still reading. And delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Did you notice something? People are in this world and they are afraid of hell. I said people are in this world, they are afraid of what? The Lord, I said he died because he finished paying for the penalty of sin on the cross. He had not died. He himself said it is finished and gave up his ghost. Now when he gave up his ghost, then he died. He said he came to this world to fulfill this obedience, to die. So now that he has died, look at what he did. He said he would deliver those who all their lifetime were subject to the fear of hell and of death. He took it so that men will never be afraid of hell again. So when you ask a true believer, are you afraid of hell? Do you die, I mean, do you sleep and consider, hey, will I get up one day and will be able to die go to hell? How many of you consider it here? You know why you cannot consider it? Because Jesus did a perfect job. The accounts will say, Neduma hote. Do you understand what I'm saying? He did a perfect job. It was so on point, you could not bend it and say, there is a fault here. He stepped on the plate and he faced the challenge praise the lord my last scripture for today is john chapter 11 25 to 26 i read jesus said unto her i am the resurrection and the life he that believes in me though he were dead yet he shall live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die believe you this Believe you this. This was when Lazarus had died. And he went to the tomb. And he, he said, ah, Jesus, if you were here a little early or earlier, something good would have happened. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now notice something. If he had not died, there wouldn't have been a resurrection. I said what? If he had not died, there wouldn't be an, a resurrection. He died so that in his death, there will be a resurrection. So that anybody who lives in him, even though this physical body dies, there will be a resurrection of your body. Because you are in him. That is why the, the Bible says that he is the husband and he's waiting for his bridegroom notice something no human being marries an animal every human being marries marries a human being why am i saying this because when jesus christ on that day of the great marriage feast he must see a church who is a she and he's ready to wed his church so he the church must carry the same kind of body he also carries so everything that jesus carries the church carries why? So that the two shall become one. You cannot be separated from Christ. I said what? You, sh you cannot be what? Hallelujah. I spoke about the resurrection because as much as his death was necessary to take the keys of death and hell, after he took it, if he had stayed there in Kasemaba, but when he took the keys, now he got out of the grave. And then Mary came to the tomb. She came to embalm and do all of that. He said, where have you taken my Lord? He said, I am he. I am he. I am the guy. I'm the guy you are looking for. I am the same person. I am the same person. He said, Master, let me hide. He said, don't hug me. Go. Go and tell them. He said, the man that you killed, he did not stay in the grave. He has risen. Why am I saying this? His resurrection authenticates his death. 
I said his resurrection does what? He makes it solid. And notice, everything he went through, he did not go through for himself. He went through because of you and I. Say, for my sake. Christ Jesus died and resurrected to prove that I, I have died and I have resurrected with him. I am in him. He is in me. We are one. We are inseparable in the name of Jesus. Please rise up to your feet with me this morning as I conclude. From the study of scripture, it was necessary that God will prove himself by his word. Not because of any man, but for his own righteousness sake. Because it is only a God who is holy and righteous. He is the only God who acts out when nobody is around to watch over him or to give him pressure. Yet he acts out rightly and righteousness. What I'm saying here is this. Everything Jesus did was to exalt you and bring you back to the place of the blessing. I said of the blessing. Is to establish the blessing in your life. Because what was the first charge he gave to Adam? He said, be fruitful. And so after Jesus has died and resurrected for you, what he did was this. Now he gave unto you that same power which Adam lost. He said, now be fruitful and do what? Multiply. Say from today, I am fruitful. I am multiplying in God's kind. I am multiplying God's nature. I am multiplying God's strength. I am multiplying God's wisdom. I am multiplying God's ability. I am multiplying God's nature in other people. Everywhere I go, in the mighty name of Jesus, give the Lord a hand. Give the Lord a hand. Give the Lord a hand. You have heard the word. Tell the Lord, Lord, let me be conscious of this every time. For it is by this word that I will reign in life. Let me be conscious of your righteousness in me. Lord Jesus, I bring myself before you. Ask the Lord, let me be conscious of your righteousness. Let me be conscious of your righteousness in the name of Jesus. Let me be conscious of your righteousness in the name of Jesus. Let me be conscious of your righteousness in the name of Jesus. Rolafa, Rolafa, Relete, Relete, Relifa, Rufa, Devekete, Medusha, Devekeduete, Feyfada, Feyvada, Mosha, Davatuate, Feyda, Lebekaduete, Fedi, Shadavata, Shindele, Lebekaduete, Ferro falu flerin fedeveka duate, mesha shadivika duata, fan fadavaga duata, reli vedobega duate, shandelebe, madi vedebega duate. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that I am righteous and I am conscious of it. I carry your righteousness and it is producing results in my life. I thank you that by your righteousness I am reigning as a king in life. In other words, I am having dominion on the earth and I am multiplying your nature. I am multiplying your character. I am multiplying your power on the earth and I'm giving you glory in every action of mine. I thank you. I bless you. In Jesus mighty name. Amen. See, I am blessed. Please rise up to your feet. Let's take our declaration of promise. See, the blessing is an empowerment on my life right now causing me to prosper, to succeed, to increase, to multiply, to advance my destiny, to fulfill my call, and to rise above anything that attempts to hold me down or to draw me back. I hold the keys to the promise of God by faith and by my position in Christ. The blessings of Abraham are mine. 
The blessings of Abraham are mine. The blessings of Abraham are mine. By the blessing, my name is great. By the blessing, I walk in favor. By the blessing, I am victorious in life. By the blessing, wealth hunts me down and overtakes me. By the blessing, I am preferred both in heaven and on the earth. By the blessing, the Holy Spirit leads me to good and pleasant places. By the blessing, I have angels working for me. By the blessing, my family is successful and protected. By the blessing, I am very rich in cattle, silver, and in gold. I am blessed with faithful Abraham. I am blessed with faithful Abraham. I am blessed with faithful Abraham. And I am complete in Christ, who is the head of all principalities and of all powers, both in heaven and on the earth. I am justified by faith. I am justified by faith. I am justified by faith. By the power of God's promise, the blessing is activated by the finished work of abundance through the faith of Jesus Christ in my life and in Greece Army Church. And in this year, we will all walk in the promises of God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Give the Lord a hand. Give the Lord a hand.